We've all experienced this morning the darkness of death. And if we look around in our world today and we think about what we experience, we experience a lot of darkness, don't we? A lot of uncertainty, especially it seems since 9-11-2001, there's a greater sense of uncertainty of tsunamis and tornadoes and earthquakes and various disasters, but also a sense of darkness among the, in the world, a darkness among leadership uh, and a darkness in our own hearts that we all experience. A darkness in our own souls. Where does the power lie that can overcome darkness, that can drive out darkness, that can change the world for the better? Does it reside in the hands of President Bush, Congress, of churches banding together and exerting political power? Where does real power come from that changes the world? The darkness can seem so overwhelming. I think that's how the disciples felt on that fateful day as they had just spent time with their Savior, three and a half years, and then suddenly when they'd realized he was the Messiah, that he'd come to be king and they were trusting in him to be king, he was arrested and taken away, put on trial, condemned to die. The darkness had to feel overwhelming to them as they all ran away and faced the betrayal of Jesus in their own hearts. Who really had the power that day? It appeared that the Roman leaders did. It appeared that the Jewish leaders did. And that Jesus had no power at all. And as we look at the story, it can appear that way. They arrested him. They killed him. He was dead. But we know that's not the end of the story. (laughs) We know that the real power lay in the cross. That as Jesus died there's a power released that could change the world forever. As we observe the cross of Christ, we see there was a clash of those kingdoms, the worldly power, the worldly kingdoms of political might and military might and social might, public opinion, religious power, worldly power, and the kingdom of God that is brought in not by military might, but by the cross, the power of the cross. Let's look at that in this passage as we look together, which was read to you. And we see that the cross is really God's victory. The world didn't win. (laughs) Our Lord did. Begins, of course, with Pilate in control. He's got power. He's the Roman authority. He's the governor. And Jesus is before him as a criminal captured. At the beginning of this chapter, he has him flogged, scourged, which is the sign of absolute power over him. Jesus submits to that, to the scourging. It's one word in the Greek text. It's at least ten long minutes in the movie The Passion where Jesus is beaten. And it's very accurate 
as to what probably occurred as the Romans took their leather strap with pieces of metal and bone embedded in it and whipped him in the back and in the front and it stuck and they ripped out pieces of flesh as they tore it. Who's in control? It certainly appears the Romans are. It appears that they have power as the soldiers take him and put a crown of thorns on him and a robe and mock him and ha, hail king of the Jews and slap him to demonstrate their complete control over him and his complete impotence before the mighty power of Rome. It appears like they have power, doesn't it? Pilate wasn't even supposed to have Jesus scourged at this point. The proper procedure was not to scourge someone until they were already condemned to die. At this point, he hasn't been condemned to die. But actually, Pilate, who seems so in control, is afraid of the Jews. So he has Jesus scourged, brings him out, hoping they'll be satisfied with what's already been done because he believes Jesus' innocence. But they're not satisfied, are they? Because they want to exert power. They hate Jesus because he threatens their power base, their control over the people. You see, the worldly power that they depended on as the religious leaders, they said, we have the law on our side. We have power. So you see the worldly power being displayed. And Jesus seems to have no power at all. Worldly power comes from political power, from military might, from social power, controlling the minds of the people, from the right of the law is on our side, judicial power, all these ways that the world says, this is how you get power. In the history of the church, the followers of Jesus Christ have been tainted when the church has said, yeah, that's the kind of power we need. (laughs) If we want to drive out darkness, if we want to make the world better, we need political power. We need military might. We need to control the opinions of people. And every time the church has fallen into looking to worldly power for influence, the church has lost its power (laughs) because worldly power has no ultimate power to drive out the darkness. Pilate says in verse 10, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? That's the claim of worldly power. But notice Jesus' response, verse 11. Jesus answered, You would have no power over me were it not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Notice what Jesus is saying here. Pilate, you think you have such power. But worldly power is no power at all. In fact, the only thing you've been given is power from above that's using you as a tool to accomplish the purposes of God. 
Folks, we need not be afraid of who's in office and who isn't. (laughs) We need not be afraid of military might. We need not be afraid of those who might arrest our compatriots in Indonesia or in the Middle East, wherever. Why? Because God is over those powers. And Jesus says, you have no power, ultimately, Pilate. Then he says something very interesting. Therefore, he who handed me over has a greater sin. Greater power, ultimately, is what he's saying. Greater impact by one who handed him over. You see, I think what Jesus is getting at here is that real power comes in the choices we make day by day to either follow Jesus, to trust him, to obey him, or to betray him. Real power, real to drive out the darkness, to change this world for good, comes in those little choices that you and I make every day to either follow Jesus or turn our back on him. That has far greater significance and influence in this world than any decision by Pilate or a president or or an Ayatollah somewhere. There's power in the choices we make, eternal power, eternal impact. When we choose not to cheat on our taxes, when we choose to turn off the computer instead of going to a website we know we should not go to. When we choose to not listen to gossip, even though it's really tempting, but to hang up or walk away. When we choose to bite our tongue when we want to hurt someone back. When we choose to forgive when we know the person does not deserve it. When we choose to work on our marriage even though in our hearts we've given up. When we make these kinds of choices, the darkness is driven back. (laughs) The light begins to shine in our own souls and in the worlds in which we live. That is real power. Worldly power, (laughs) there is none. As the story goes on, Pilate's afraid. He wants to set Jesus free, but he's afraid of the Jews. The Jews are shouting and saying, crucify him, crucify him, because they're so afraid of losing their own power. He's a slave to the people's opinions. He's a slave to Rome, Pilate is. The Jews are a slave to their own hatred and their own lust for power. You see, worldly power only makes you a slave, ultimately. It gives you no power in the long run. And the Jews finally scream out when Pilate says, Shall I crucify your king? They yell, We have no king but Caesar. Now you need to realize for a Jew to say that, these are the chief priests talking, for the Jews to say that was an utter betrayal of God. It was turning their back on their faith. They they were celebrating the Passover at this time in Jerusalem. This was the day of preparation. Part of the Passover liturgy that they would repeat and hear over and over and over again. And the chief priests would proclaim to the people, we have no king but God. 
And every day a good Jew would pray for the Messiah to come and reign as king. And yet at this point, because they're so consumed by worldly power and by their own hatred, they scream out, we have no king but Caesar. It was a betrayal of everything that they lived for. As Alfred Edersheim, the church historian, says, with this cry, Judaism was, in the person of its representatives, guilty of denial of God, guilty of blasphemy, guilty of apostasy. The Messiah that they prayed for was standing right in front of them. And they despised the very hand of God. Is there real power in worldly power? <laughs> no. There is none. It blinds you to what God is doing right in front of your face. So where does real power come from? To drive out the darkness, to change our world. Well, obviously we see it in Jesus. It's in the cross. It's in the way he chose to give up his life for us. The way God's power is released is through the cross. It's through giving up our life to receive it. That's the way the power of God is released. Notice as he goes on in the crucifixion is explained as they take charge of him, they take him to Golgotha and they crucify him. Pilate attaches a sign, King of the Jews. We need to realize how horrible crucifixion was. For us, we stand on this side of the cross, so to us it's become a symbol of death, yes, but a symbol of life, a symbol of love. But to the Romans in those days, it was a symbol of utter contempt. In fact, the word cross was a swear word in Roman society. Timothy George writes this, The Latin word crux, or cross, was regarded as an expression so crude, no polite Roman would utter it in public. In order to get around this, the Romans devised a description of it, hang him on the unlucky tree. But what the world regarded as too shameful to whisper in polite company a detestable object used for the brutal execution of the dregs of society, Jesus chose to be crucified on. To take on our sin. To take on your sin. To take on my sin. And as he stepped into that place of sacrifice, of taking the lowest possible place in society, becoming a criminal, and taking your sin and my sin upon us. He accomplished the greatest good that could ever be accomplished. He freed us. He allowed us to be forgiven. You see, that's the power of sacrifice. That's the power of the cross. That's real power. And when we choose to live lives of sacrifice, setting aside our own rights, as he did, taking the lowest place, choosing to say, I will not demand my own way. I will give up my rights for others. Then the power of God is released and the darkness is driven back. We see here on the cross as Jesus is there, the power of obedience as well. It's interesting as you read through the story that everything he does is in obedience to the scriptures. And in verse 28, it says, Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so the scripture would be fulfilled. 
purposely so the scripture would be fulfilled, in obedience to the scripture to fulfill the words about Messiah to come, Jesus said, I am thirsty. (laughs) And he fulfills a number of passages of scripture from the Psalms, from Exodus, from Zechariah, throughout this passage. You see, Jesus has a heart to obey the Father, to obey the Word, to obey Scripture, even as He's on the cross. He's revealing to us, I think, a wonderful principle of the power of the cross, how it's released. It's released as we die to ourselves and choose to live in obedience to the Scripture, to our Heavenly Father. As we make those choices to do what's right, then our worlds begin to change. God drives back the darkness. When we live out the scriptures as Jesus is, seeking to obey, even in our fallenness and our struggle, we don't do it right. But as we seek to obey, the darkness is driven back. How many of you were born into dysfunctional families? (laughs) You know, all of us probably. No family's perfect. And yet, as we choose to live in obedience, we can change the whole tenor of our families. My grandfather wanted to be a minister. He married my grandmother, and she said, no way, we are not going to church, you are not going to follow God. And he gave in to that. When she was about 90 years old, just before she died, she confessed to me. She said, I destroyed your grandfather's faith. Overwhelmed with guilt, and yet she could not accept the forgiveness that God offered on the cross. That's the kind of family I was born into, a home that did not trust God because my father picked that up from his parents. But, you know, God began to work. And I and my five brothers and sisters, as we got into later years of high school and out of high school, began to obey the truth, committed our lives to Christ. And things began to change. And eventually, in their later years, both my parents came to Christ. And now there's another generation that's beginning to trust God and walk with Him. You see, as we just begin to obey in little ways, the darkness is driven back and we can change the dysfunction we've been born into. We can change the world when we live in the power of the cross, sacrifice and obedience and love. Passage goes on, of course, to describe the love in which Jesus went to the cross for us, for you and me. It has become the greatest symbol. This this symbol of rejection, this obscenity, has become the greatest symbol of love because he took on his back on the cross, your sins and mine, so we could be utterly, completely forgiven. That's the greatest symbol of love there could ever be. But there's a picture of love, a wonderful one too, in the story, a heartwarming part of the story is Jesus is on the cross and he's about to die and he's in pain and every breath on the cross because of the bleeding and the scourging, and because you're hanging there, you have to push yourself up to take a breath, which hurts. Your back is scraped on the wood of the cross. And it's a horrible experience, and he's about to die, and yet he looks down and sees his mother and sees the Apostle John. 
in an act of utter love, he says, Dear woman, here is your son. Behold your son. And to the disciple, he said, Behold your mother. His heart was on them. He wanted his mother to be taken care of. He wanted this disciple to be included in his family. And in this act of love, he shows the power of the cross, the power of love. That as we choose to act in love, even when it's hard, the darkness gets driven back. Love is the greatest power in the universe. So when you, in a marriage, as there's tension, as there's struggle, or in any other relationship you might be in, as you're, you're having conflict with another person, and that conflict is going on, and each of you is wondering, how come, how come I don't get my way? <laughs> Why do I have to give up my rights? There's power struggles, wondering who's going to win. But when one person chooses to live by the power of the cross, by sacrifice, by obedience, by love, to set aside their rights, all of a sudden the battle's over. There is no more war. And the darkness is driven back and that relationship can begin to change. Of course, you can't control the other person's response, but you control yours and you live by the power of the cross and the world begins to change. Real power is not in politics. It's not in military might. It's don't be fooled by what the world tries to tell you. Real power comes in dependence on Jesus and walking the path he walked, taking upon you the cross, taking upon me the cross, and to walk in sacrifice and obedience and love. In the end, verse 30, it says, when Jesus died, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It's an active verb, folks. He gave it up. He handed it over. Who was in control? Was it Pilate? Was it the Jews? No. Jesus chose to give up his life. In John 10, he says, No one can take my life from me. I give it up of my own accord. He chose to give up his life for you and me. And because of that, he changed the world forever. The Jews weren't in control. You know what they did? Forty years later, they said, you know what? We think we want the power that Rome has. And they began to take weapons and they began to start a revolution. They wanted that worldly power and they were destroyed as a nation in A.D. 70. The Romans continued to rely on worldly power and where is the empire of Rome today? It's gone. But the church continues to go on and grow and have greater and greater impact. Why? Because of the power of the cross. And we in our lives can have great power when we rely on that power. Not worldly power, not political power, not military might, not social opinion. But when we choose to give up our lives as Jesus gave up his life for us. Then the darkness is driven back and the world is changed. The passage ends with two men of great earthly power, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They were part of the Sanhedrin. They had great power. They chose to sacrifice all that to take Jesus down from the cross, a condemned criminal, executed, who they were not to be touched. They were thrown into an open 
pit, an open grave, after the birds had picked their bones clean. But they chose to sacrifice their place of position out of sacrifice and obedience and love to take him from the cross and lay him in a tomb. And we have that choice too. The question for us, of course, is will we do the same? Will we give up what the world offers to follow the one who has true power to forgive and drive out the darkness in our lives? Back to verse 11 for just a moment. Jesus said, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Who handed Jesus over? Something Judas? Is that who's in Jesus' mind? Something Caiaphas? Something the Jewish leaders? Something the nation of Israel? I think it's purposely vague so that we can all put our own names in there. Who betrayed Jesus? Who's guilty of the greater sin? I am. I am. And you are. You are. We've all betrayed him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve to die on that cross and be separated from God forever. But in verse 30, Jesus hung his head and said, It is finished. On that cross, he took upon himself your sin and mine, your punishment and mine, your condemnation and mine, so that by faith all we need to do is come and say, Thank you that you died for me. And the darkness begins to subside. And then we can begin to learn to live in the power of the cross as Jesus did so the world might be changed forever. Let's pray. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you saw us in our lostness, in our sin, in our helplessness, in our striving after worldly power and all the things this world offers. And you chose to take our punishment, our sin, on yourself so that we might be forgiven if we will only believe. Help us believe, Lord. Help us to trust you and to let go of the things the world offers and begin to walk in the power of the cross in how we love one another, to walk in sacrifice and obedience and love. Oh, how we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a couple